Hello and welcome to our very first episode of 2021, where we explore why you're picking the wrong shows. This is The Oddcast. Welcome to the first episode of the Oddcast for 2021. My name is Kean O'Dowd and you are listening to the show where we talk all things musical theatre, news and opinion, both from Broadway and the West End and from right here at home on the local musical theatre scene. I am, of course, again this year, joined by my co-hosts, the imaginative Daniel Ryan and Adam Trundle. We are just figments of your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So I am glad, Dan, that you clarified that we do exist. That was important. (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't say imagined. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Podcast, I merely imagine you as a kind of a foil for me. (laughs) (laughs) This has all just been a one man show. (laughs) Quite the, the vocal artist. Here we are. It's funny, like after like the Christmas break and then just the onslaught of back to work in January, uh, I kind of have forgotten how to do this. <laughs> what? Talk? Yeah. Speak words <laughs> in a coherent manner. Well, it's true because we are speaking to far fewer people, I suppose, than we ordinarily would. So social skills are on the decline. Mm-hmm. Most, yeah, most yes. days it's just more like a blah. So actually using <laughs> proper words is, is a real struggle now. What just open yeah. throat noises? That's, <laughs> yeah, just, that's just me at my desk all day. Just like, just waiting, waiting for, and then just like clocks off. Is that like, oh, okay? Fair enough. We got through that. <laughs> that wasn't so bad. <laughs> that was such a productive day. <laughs> one day at a time. One day at a time. We are, of course, back in level five lockdown with no end in sight. I think. Mm. Our uh, dear leaders have suggested that it might be the end of March even by the time that this fully abates. But I know that level five, as it currently stands, we're in until the end of January. So boo hiss. That's pretty rubbish. Is it too late? I wasn't sure where you were going with that end of sentence. Are you just saying it's the end of the world? (laughs) It's the end of days. (laughs) It might be. You don't know. I mean, there are so many flipping strains of this thing coming out now. (laughs) consume the planet yeah it's it's reinventing itself more than madonna did like honestly it's getting ridiculous (laughs) yeah it does kind of feel like we're in the finale of little trip of horrors yeah Yeah, very much so just don't don't infect the venus flytraps and we get one of those that's just the last thing we need Mm -hmm. it really is Mm -hmm. it's not the last thing we need but it's pretty close yeah it's not as dead last but it's down there it's on the short list of things that we don't need <laughs> like i have a father ted pull down chart to explain like things we don't need <laughs> speaking of things we don't need war of the worlds was on tv last night the steven spielberg one from i think 2005 yeah, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very good flick i think great movie but i kind of stuck with it because the shows must go on had had the Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds on it oh. about two weeks ago. And I watched that. And I, I hadn't listened to that album in a long time. But it's so good. Yeah, it's fairly it's incredible. Really, really good. So well worth a listen. 
uh, if you can find it. I think like that was a stage adaptation which was done sometime in the mid two thousands. Russell Watson plays the part originally played by Phil Linnett on the album. But I remember I was watching War of the Worlds, going, "Yeah, I wouldn't be out of place." <laughs> Bit of light relief at this stage. <laughs> they would kind of be on the vibe for the last. But it'd make for a change. Wouldn't it? I think that's what we're all craving is like a little bit of something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just know. Martian tripods blasting us with heat rays. It's okay because the way the news cycle is going, they'd be like, like it, they'd be old news by the time <laughs> that the papers wouldn't even print it because it'd be like, well, there's all this other new stuff after happening. <laughs> Martians are paid for at best. Yeah. Take it, take it, take a seat, take a number. Yeah. We'll get to you eventually. <laughs> and it's been a while 2021 so far. It is pretty much like the year has looked at its slightly older brother, 2020, and, and thought, you know what? Hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> what a great news content. Hold my beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I presume you've seen the meme of uh, Yaquin Phoenix's Joker showing Pennywise. Yes. Uh, you know, like, kind of 20 showing 2021 the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's unfortunately will be quite a while before we are back out of this again and able to perform but the projections are hoping that we should get some degree of normality by the summer but we have a lot of time before that to try to fill and i know there have been a couple of musical societies that put on facebook concerts or other kind of digital concerts over the holiday period. Yeah, um, I mean, Mullingar had quite a cool approach to it where, where they used the virtual background a kind of effect. I'm not sure if they had a green screen or just a blank white wall and someone with a bit of a, a tech savvy approach so that it appeared as though the performers were in a, a set yeah. or had a, a decent backdrop, which I think is not as difficult as, as it would seem to do and is probably something that other groups should think about for any virtual concerts yeah it gives a real like slick it, it just looked so it was just it was one of those things like i think everyone's everyone's seen now people doing like you know songs from their front room for most of last year like <laughs> yeah and it was just so cool it's just like oh that looks it's probably something so simple like you say but it was so so effective it was just looked so and good it's it's great for consistency as well because yeah. I mean, you can even have a virtual duet where where you have two people with the same virtual background and now they suddenly appear to be in the same room mm. you know which is definitely good and they weren't the only ones of course to do do things kind of in the build-up to christmas there were a lot of carol services i think carrie did a particularly big one the Cargillan Musical Society down in Cork. And then Sean Gilligan, Performing Arts Academy, also did Viva Lost Christmas, which I didn't get a chance myself to have a proper look at, but it certainly sounds very exciting. Oh, well, they always put some good stuff, doesn't they? It's nice to see people taking various innovations. I think we spoke in the last episode that mm. there are a lot of opportunities when it comes to online to do things a little bit differently. And as you say, that virtual background is kind of a new standard that set we've all been doing kind of something similar over the past while of doing those videos from our bedroom and putting them up online but when you take it and you give it that much more professional sheen of a decent virtual background it does elevate it there's no doubt about it so i would expect other groups over you know perhaps the next six seven months in the year while we still have some level of restrictions are are going to want to do something akin to Mm. that so fair play yeah, to that's, district. That's definitely the thing. Yes, friend of the show, Chris Caroon, driving the, the standards up. Dang it, Chris. Of course, they weren't the only ones to do some kind of virtual presentation because even on Broadway, 
that has happened. That's right. And I was privileged to watch something that you were a little ahead of the curve on, Adam, in bringing it to the attention of listeners, I think back in November, which is Ratatouille. Yes, this is the crowd-sourced musical. <laughs> and not crowd-funded, we should be no. clear, because that's happened before where people contribute money. This was crowd-sourced in that there are probably 20 to 30 different songwriters involved. <laughs> For those who don't know, this is based on the 2007 Disney Pixar film Ratatouille and started out with just a short clip on TikTok of somebody sticking music to lyrics that they dreamt up that read Remy the Ratatouille the rat of all my dreams which as we've said before on this show was somewhat incoherent makes no sense because Remy isn't a ratatouille he's a rat who makes ratatouille there's a difference (laughs) I mean we can't argue with the rat of all my dreams though we, we should just be concerned I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me say they try they tried and tested many rats and it was like, no, yeah. this one. This is the rat of my dreams. The previous <laughs> all previous ones, no, there was something there was just something not right about them, but then this one rat came along. <laughs> but what happened obviously was lots of people created numbers for the musical, some of them better than others, and Eventually, a certain number of them were pulled together in what was called the final version of Ratatouille the Musical. And this was presented by Broadway actors online in a visual presentation in aid of the Actors Fund. Mm -hmm. And it starred some people that you'll have heard of. Titus Burgess is probably the most famous one there, but Adam Lambert plays, and sorry, sorry, Titus Burgess plays Remy. Adam Lambert played his brother Emil, Wayne Brady, his father Django, and quite a number of of famous Broadway actors are in it. It's I did watch it. It was variable, to say the least. There are some, <laughs> there are some really good songs in there. Like in particular, Rat's Way of Life, sung by Emil, played by Adam Lambert. It's just a really, really good tune. And there are a couple of really good songs in it. But Definitely the quality is up and down. There are quite a few there. You've been pushing the skip button on to get past. But th- that wasn't the biggest thing that disappointed me about it. It it sort of looked very hashed together. And that's a little bit disappointing because there was an awful lot of energy behind this and an awful lot of momentum behind this. And I think people were excited to see it come to this kind of production having been put together on TikTok. But I think it would need an awful lot of of work. There's some great (laughs) material there. There really is. But you would need to take somebody like an Alan Menken and and get him to work with all of the people whose songs are there to try to create a bit of coherency to the whole Mm. thing because it's very much, it does feel like something that was put together by 10 different people. Not really. (laughs) There's very contrasting styles in terms of lyrics, very contrasting styles in terms of music, and not all of it really fits. Now, I'm probably being overly critical of something that's just a bit of a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anyone was hoping to win a Pulitzer for a two musical live stream. Look, the the fact that the idea made it that far is incredibly cool. Mm. And it does put down a little bit of a marker to say, are we going to see more of this in the future? 
are we going to see more crowdsourced stuff in the future? Because we have the technology that enables us to do it. In a sense, the method of editing or choosing songs, you're already almost workshopping it at the design stage because yeah. you're getting feedback immediately on every idea from a large group of people. And you can filter out an awful lot of things that don't work or not aren't catch, capturing people's imaginations quite early on in the process. So yeah. on the one hand, it does seem like a great new way to do it, to supplement the traditional composer and librettist-led way or single composer and single librettist-led way that, that has been done. But it's going to be exciting to perhaps if people on any community, be it TikTok or Instagram or or whatever, decide to take up a project that, you know, maybe they deal with something that is out of copyright, like an older Yeah, piece. I was going to say the next target should be something that's in the public domain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And the thing about it is that it addresses one of the things that theatre producers always worry about, which is, is this going to have interest? Is this going mm. to have fan base? By doing it this way, you create a ready-made fan base. You have yeah. a huge cohort of people which are already invested, already interested, have already been hyped up on the stuff and who are going to buy tickets day one. And there's no question in my mind that if you stuck this Ratatouille on the Broadway stage, that you would have a very successful opening mm. because you just have people behind you already. How it would do after that, obviously, depends on the ultimate quality of, of what's designed. But it is fascinating. And and it allows you to work with people like right across the globe you've never met with. Sitting here, you go, it's so exciting. The possibilities are kind of endless. I just feel, though, if you were going to take a Pixar movie, I think we talked about it like, when we talked yeah. about the beginning. It, I, just, I don't know why I wouldn't have picked Ratatouille as the, the first Pixar movie yeah. to get a musical. I just wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. And if you were to ask me which one should have got it, I don't really know either. I think, like, you know, I do love the idea of a Monsters Inc. one. I mean, that already had, that that had musical numbers in the bloody, they were writing a musical in that actual (laughs) film. It'd be quite meta. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just makes sense, you know? Yeah. One thing that I think makes Ratatouille unsuitable in a way is that I know Ratatouille is kind of a comedy, but it's quite sentimental. And it's quite Mm. a touching movie. And this is probably the biggest fault with Ratatouille was that you didn't get a sense of any of that sentimental Mm. feeling in it. It was just trying to eke maximum fun and comedy value out of it, which I I think takes the heart out of Ratatouille. Like Mm, Ratatouille is so good because it's a beautiful movie. I, for one, am shocked that the 18 to 21 year old uh, authors, you know, <laughs> didn't appreciate the sense of depth <laughs> behind yeah. the story and just focused on the fun. Get it together, kids. They totally missed it. <laughs> yeah, like it was miss. It was certainly missing for me that element of it. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want to be overly critical, though I am being overly <laughs> critical. Yeah. But, Do you feel like the Simpsons headline, Old Man Yells at Cloud? <laughs> I think it's apt, but the cloud deserved it. <laughs> so, what can I say? Use, Abe Simpson was right. <laughs> yeah. right was asking for it. It rained on his parade. Oh, that's incredible! <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's <laughs> actually, I, I'm actually too in awe by that pun to even that's laugh at it. More appreciating that. it so much. More of that in 21 now. <laughs> Keep it up. Yeah, stay, stay tuned for more quality <laughs> humor.
will be a long time, yes, before we get to see any live Broadway action on stage. Mm. But that gives us plenty of time to think about well, what we do want to see and do when we get there. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. And that brings us to the feature of this episode which oh isn't that convenient oh it was, <laughs> it was just a, a completely accidental segue look at, that, uh, look at that link right there you <laughs> really don't know how it happened so we've titled this episode you're picking the wrong shows intentionally a little provocative because mm-hmm. as a musical theater community in ireland we're picking a lot of great shows we're picking a lot of shows that interest our members that people want to see but over the years, I definitely have noticed some very clear trends of the same shows being picked, perhaps to the exclusion of other brilliant shows that are out there that I have rarely, if ever, seen. And what we've decided to do is each of us pick shows which fit that bill of lesser performed and talk about them and maybe ask musical societies out there to consider these shows when making their picks for next season. And okay, I have to accept that we don't have access to the great database of every show that's been put on by a musical society in this country. We can't say for certain if these shows have never been performed, but what we do know is that at a minimum, they are very rarely performed. Mm-hmm. They didn't appear in a Google search of the name of the show and musical society. <laughs> in well, that's my approach anyway. I did the first like five pages looking for. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a program from any musical society for these shows, and I do, I do love collecting a good uh, program. I mm. love that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, as as Will Ferrell says, you could hide a dead body on the second page of Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's the depths I went to to try and investigate <laughs> whether you went as far as five. five so that pages, implies yeah. PhD level research. I'd say you saw. I'd say you saw some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I might start off with you, Adam, and I might take your very first pick. And yeah, what have you suggested for the musical societies of Ireland as a great alternative to some of the shows that they're currently doing? Yeah, so I mean, I I had a more challenging time with this than I think either of you in that the depth of my knowledge of musicals is, paltry, is a lot. Yeah. Sure, it's it's much more. <laughs> it's pathetic. Let's just yeah. say I'm still in in You've no the, place the in shallow the end of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the armbands are off, but I'm still in the shallow end. Mm. I haven't. <laughs> but like, yeah, but should they, <laughs> but should they be off though? Like it's uh, yeah. like, uh, you're, still, you're you're still where you can put your feet on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the armbands are safe to be off, but like, like don't take your eye off me for too long. Um, <laughs> but the one thing that we have kind of cemented in, in the past, other than my paltry knowledge, is mm. my keen support of Sondheim um, yeah. and of ABBA. But I mean, like, unless Mamma Mia becomes available, and I don't think that's going to be an underappreciated show. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. When, 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 when Mamma Mia becomes available, there won't be any shortage Ooh. of societies vying for that. Absolutely. Not. I don't think so. So I decided to hone in on Sondheim. So, I mean, obviously, Sweeney Todd is one of the most popular shows that are done 
or at least it's done fairly regularly in that, you know, it's done enough to be highly represented at AIMS every year, which we covered in depth uh, in our in our AIMS Awards specials. But I decided to look for shows that maybe by Sondheim haven't been performed as much, if ever. So the first one is A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, uh, which is yep. quite the mouthful of the title. <laughs> so I'm going to call it Forum for the rest of the podcast because it's just too long to keep saying. <laughs> you know, we're going to get start getting charged by Spotify per syllable. So that was the first musical that, that Stephen Sondheim ever wrote the music and lyrics for. Up to mm. that point, he had only done one or the other. Uh, I think mostly lyrics as well. So this was his first. So he had famously written the lyrics to West Side Story, for example. And Gypsy yeah. as well. Jewel Stein musical, yeah. Yeah. It, this was his first cut at both uh, in the early 60s. And it's it's actually, it's like out of character for, for Sondheim. It's like, it's not, if you were to listen to it, you probably wouldn't know it was a Sondheim score. Mm. It's much more in the classical Broadway style. Mm. But like there's there's clues throughout the lyrics that it's Sondheim. There are some some quite clever turns of phrase. Mm. Like in the opening song is Comedy Tonight, which is probably the most famous song in the show. And there's there's a great line about how there's nothing to do with fate and weighty matters will have to wait, which is just it's incredible. <laughs> it's like pure Sondheim wordplay at its finest. As I said, it's a really funny comedy. Like the film version of it has Zero Mostel, who people will know from Fiddler mm. on the Roof, in the lead role. And also has Buster Keaton in his final film performance. No. Wow. He plays, hey. plays Erroneous. Um, <laughs> uh, and he is hilarious in it. And Michael Crawford turns up as well, an old a movie musical uh, veteran. At this point, but I, yeah. this is before Hello Dolly, so it might be one of his his first hmm. big roles hmm. in a movie musical. And like that lead role of Sudeless, which is played by Zero Mostel, every actor who has played that part or has originated that part on Broadway has won the Best Lead Actor Tony Award. Wow. Uh, so in 1963, Zero Mostel won it. Phil Silvers won it in the 1970s revival. And then Nathan Lane picked it up in the 1990s revival. Mm. Uh, and also Jason Alexander, who people will know as George from Frasier, not Frasier, yeah. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> I was going to say Friends, which threw me off. I guess <laughs> not it either. <laughs> One of those sitcoms. Um, he played it in a review. It was called a Jerome Robbins Broadway, I think. Mm. Um, it was just a review of, of mix of shows that he was involved in, in directing or producing or as the choreographer. And there was one scene which had a Sudeless in it and Jason Alexander played the part and he too picked up the Tony for best lead actor. No <laughs> so, so I would expect that if you are to choose this and you have a particularly strong lead actor, say someone who's already played Tevye and is looking for something else, you know, this is, this is the part for them. Heaps of chorus because obviously it's set during ancient Roman times mm. and you, you have plenty of, of room for, for chorus. There's loads of parts. And it's just a barrel of laughs with, with some catchy songs. So I think it would be a great option for, for most musical societies to have a good at. It is definitely one where you do see the comedic element of Stephen Sondheim's lyrics really mm-hmm. come out. There's some absolutely cracking tunes in it. And it, it's Sondheim without that, you know, because a lot of people, when they think about Sondheim, it's it's the patter rhythms that throw people off or or the, you know, hugely discordant harmonies and like that's just not there in this show so it's yeah. it's like a, 
and and easing you into stand time. It's much more straightforward, but without really diminishing the quality that much. Now, it is rare for Sondheim in that it's a musical of his that he wasn't nominated for for best score. Yeah, for but again, that's it. It's not as as unique or imaginative to use our adjective from the start. I'm actually shocked that in my five pages of Google research, I haven't seen any society having done it before. Well, now I do know that the Ross Musical Society did do it. I think many years ago, like in the 21st century, I'm not sure. Now, I would love for someone to write in and tell me, well, we did it in in Back of Beyond Musical Society in 2017, because I would be like, why didn't you you know, tell us about it? Because I would have gone I to see the it. Internet, yeah. <laughs> which I would assume was important for the promotion of your show. But yes, uh, throughout this, if you do have any reactions to any of the shows that we are proposing, do let us know. Get in touch with us by email at theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or on Facebook or Instagram at the oddcast by Odd Theatre. Adam, before we move on to Dan's one, I want to get a rating from you. Ooh. Across oh, five uh, what scale areas. are we talking here? Five areas. Oh, five areas. Fantastic. Will be important for musical societies to consider, right? So, Christ, okay. I, I wish we had talked about this before we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a hot like, take. People won't realize, like, we do discuss the show prior to recording. I know it doesn't seem like it at all. Yeah, I was saying. Um, <laughs> but do a good job hiding that. We do talk about it, but this isn't something Keen has just sprung on us. So hang on, I've got a pen and paper here. Decided to spring <laughs> it on you because I want to get your honest, unfiltered viewpoint, Okay. So are we rating it out of five on each of these five things? Or is it like yes or no? I want to do it like a Mitsu in Japan. I want it out of 40. (laughs) I'm only joking. I want it out of five. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Which you can then multiply by eight to get a maximum score of. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Like Carol (laughs) Vorderman there. (laughs) Got it for you. All of these in total will be rated. 25. uh, out of 25 right okay so first of all entertainment value what are you giving to me oh that's a four that's that's a that's a good score it's really funny and i think it's visually striking because like the costumes are are unique there's not that many Mm -hmm. shows that i know of that are set in kind of ancient rome Mm -hmm. but at the same time i don't think it should be too expensive to to make togas and you know you know you can take the bed bed yeah (laughs) model scissors and done (laughs) <laughs> and someone who's handy with a needle and thread well i'll come back to i'll come back to that in a second but tell me <laughs> oh. now the songs how would you rate the quality of the the score here hmm that's a tricky one because like as a sun time score it is in the lower tier but that's kind of like us talking about war of the worlds like well it's not steven spielberg's best film but you know, it's still Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'd say it's probably a, a three, a three. three okay, maybe. all right. Because uh, I, I, I think people will leave humming the songs, but people mm. don't know the songs already, so it, they yeah. can't get a, a good score. And and it's not shit enough to be a two. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and tell me when it comes to the potential cost of a society to put on. Out of five, where do you think that this rates on on the spectrum? So, mm. like, let's let's call Beauty and the Beast out there 
a one because it's really expensive to produce. So I'll just mm. say like really expensive to produce is on the low end. And then you take something like, let's say a Godspell or Rent on the other end. They're like five, super yeah. Super cheap, small band, yeah. black box setting almost. Mm. Yeah, this is a tricky one because obviously when you look at the at the performance materials, it's written for like 20 in a band because yeah. that's what they did back in the 60s and like the costumes while we said they may potentially be curtains and 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 bed sheets that are <laughs> have been creatively repurposed yeah. like there is still a set that's got to invoke ancient rome now i think like as a setting it's all kind of in the street of of rome so it like if you build one good set you haven't got to constantly change it sure and you could self-build. I don't think there's anything that means you need to go off hiring complicated things. So if you have someone in your society, a few columns w- yeah. w- would do quite a lot in, in terms of setting the, the stage. But I think it's probably still a three because there probably mm. is a sufficient amount of buying things that you need to, to, to do in order to actually put it together. All right. C- tell me now, how much is there for the ensemble here? If you are a member of the chorus, you're not one of the the principal parts. Yes, is this because we know there are, there are shows out there that essentially, let's say, singing in the rain, right? If you're not a principal yeah. part in singing in the rain, you haven't a lot to do. You're off stage for an awful mm-hmm. lot of the show. So, where would you see it on the the, the spectrum? Yeah, I think it's a four again. I, th- I think I think there's heaps of room for the chorus in this. Like the company are specifically listed in in a couple of the songs. But when you actually listen to the soundtrack, there's actually smaller ensembles in almost every song. Like there's a hilarious song called Everybody Ought to Have a Maid. uh, And you have nearly the entire male company can be involved in that song because there is plenty of backing vocals there. Um, And yeah, there's plenty of room for people to be involved. And the nice thing about it is there's no specific age or, or gender requirement for most of the company. Yeah, and even actually, I forgot to say with the parts, uh, the parts have often been kind of cast gender blind. Like there has been an all male version of it, which I guess yeah. won't suit most societies, but was funny no. in that you know that's a harking back to ancient Roman times when all the actors would have been men. Um, yeah. But then equally, some quite high profile women have played the lead part, which is traditionally played by a man. Uh, mm. You know, including Whoopi Goldberg, who took over from Nathan Lane. So, wow. nice. so you. So you can kind of like there's room so within it for, for it's very flexible. There's room for as many people as you can fit onto your stage with all the columns <laughs> and they can be involved and singing and, and dancing. Yeah. So four, I said, yeah, four. it's not quite my fair lady now, it's, <laughs> but it's <laughs> for sure. But there's plenty of people. All right. And my last one is marketability. How do you think it would sell? Hmm. Like how many how many punters are we going to get in the door with a funny thing happened on the way to the forum? Yeah, I think this is probably where it falls because I imagine if if this was a big seller, then it would have been done more often. I think if you stick Stephen Sondheim's name on it in your marketing, that's going to get you some of the way in that mm. a lot of diehard musical theater fans are going to go, oh yeah, I like Sondheim. I've never seen this one. I'll check it out. But that can also have a, you know, it can have a negative effect because I know I've I've spoken to people and they say, oh, Sondheim, that's not for me. And that right. actually puts them off going to see a show. And, at the, and you know, as well, you sell it as a comedy. You try and use clips from the movie in, in your marketing because the, like, the film is hilarious. And I think anyone who watches the film will want to go and see the stage version. But I don't think the film has had much of a lasting 
impact yeah. culturally. I think it did well at the time, but I mean, I uh, you know hadn't seen it until quite recently. So I think it's probably, I think three might be a fair because I think you can market it, but I don't think like if I say, oh, we're doing a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I don't think anyone's going, oh, I love that. Mm. Except for, yeah. you know, my fellow Sondheim. I think it's like a classic example of one of those ones that like, if people come to see it at like the start of your run, they're going to have an absolutely fantastic time. They're going to be huge, thoroughly entertained and they in turn will tell other people. So it's it's one of those ones that like at the beginning of a week, your audiences could be a bit small, but when word of mouth goes around the town, much more people come see it because it is an absolute laugh riot. Like, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, because it's, it's probably not as marketable as it should be, really. Like, mm. even though it's been revived a bunch of times, you know, even as, as recently as 2004, it was revived in... Though now let's think about it, that's 16 years ago. That's not that recent. <laughs> 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 but for 1962, 2004 is really recent. <laughs> well, in, in theater terms, it's it's sort of recent. It's sort of recent. So tossing them up here, that gets you to, I think, 17 out of 25. That's what I got too. That's that's a healthy enough score, I think. I think that's like 17 out of 25 is a very good score. Mm. So pretty reasonably rated across all of the, I think, let's say the the very important categories that we could assess mm. a show by. But I might just pivot to you, Dan, and see what you are suggesting societies take a look at. So it's called uh, City of Angels. So yes. this, I think it was it 1989 was when it premiered on Broadway. And basically the kind of the idea behind it is basically kind of a bit of a an homage to the kind of like film noir. So kind of like real classic mm. Hollywood and kind of like, you know, a, a loose idea of the story is that you kind of at the beginning of it, you meet um, a guy who's trying, who's like a, he's trying to write screenplay. And then it kind of takes on the idea of we see what he is writing, then kind of play out as the musical itself, which uh. kind of kind of something similar to, I think, if it, the Copacabana, which is a show that is also not done a huge amount, but it has been done a few times that I do know of. And again, like in that, you know, you see what the person is writing and it actually plays out as the show. Um, so that's that's the idea behind City of Angels as well. There's kind of a bit more kind of jumping back and forth between the air in movie air quotes that he's writing <laughs> and his real life, you know, that you do see kind of a bit more rather than just purely the movie bit of it. Um, but it's actually phenomenally successful. So it's when it premiered on Broadway in 1989 and it won, I think it was nominated for 11 Tony Awards and it won Best Musical and, and, and a few others as well. And then it opened on the West End a couple of years later and it also won Best Musical on the West End. And then there was a revival on the West End only about five or six years ago, I'm going to say about 2014, sometime around then. And that won Best Revival of a Musical. So it's actually never not won Best Musical, be it, <laughs> be it both original or a revival. It's never not won it. So that's that's some pretty, you know, that's some pretty big honor. <laughs> Those are some bona fide <laughs> credentials, yeah. Yeah, that's some serious stuff. What I like about it, I think for me... It really strikes the balance in terms of, first of all, it's a fantastic kind of, if you listen to the soundtrack, it really does kind of evoke that real kind of old Hollywood, you know, kind of glamour mm. of the kind of 1940s, you know, it, it, you know, it really does more so than I think a lot of other shows that should do better in that respect. 
and it, it really kind of gives off that vibe you know lovely kind of big kind of brassy score to it and it just it just it sounds so cool um mm. to listen to like the music is brilliant and it's it's just it's a really kind of it's an interesting idea obviously with the kind of seeing what he's writing play out as the as the musical itself and it's just it's a little bit different but it's it's a very i suppose highly rated musical um it's mm. obviously very successful and it just it has it has a you know a very interesting story it's a bit of a kind of a like i say kind of a bit of a thriller kind of side to it you know there's kind of dark elements to it there's a bit of humor in it as well you know, it, it's got a little bit of everything. It sounds like a really good alternative to Chicago for people. Mm, exactly. Kind of yeah. it, does, it does have that kind of feel. It has a cracking act one closer. In Oh, yeah. A, I know. I know you're a fan of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like you're nothing without me between like the two big male characters in the show. It's a brilliant song. It's one of the, my favorite musical theater songs. But it, I, correct me if I I'm wrong now, Dan, it also has a quite cool gimmick in that the scenes that are played out from the film are played out in black and white yes. on stage, where the scenes are painted in black and white tones and the costumes are mm-hmm. in black and white tones, giving the appearance of a black and white movie. Yeah, you are oh, yep, you're bang on. Cool. And then and then obviously like the the real life. So when you're actually mm-hmm. the scenes with the writer, they're done in color. And then obviously yes, but when the scenes that you're looking at the movie, it's like black and white and the characters are all kind of wearing, you know, those kind of black and white tones in their clothing as well. So you can really again, I love the idea because it's very sometimes Mm. It can be hard, and particularly, obviously, if you have like a professional budget, you can do amazing things. But if you were trying to do that, or that kind of idea, that kind of concept of showing we're jumping between real life into a show within a show kind of thing, I feel, and you see that across many shows, like this isn't exclusive. There's so many musicals that are, you know, have shows within a show, and it can sometimes get a bit lost. You're kind of like, wait, yeah. are, we, are we looking at the real people now? Or are we looking at who they're pretending to be? It can, yeah. it can get a little bit muddled. So mm-hmm. that kind of having that there, which is, it's, it's such a brilliant idea. I'm kind of like, I don't know why people don't employ that more across mm. other shows. <laughs> you just do that for do that for everything. That's a stroke of genius there. Yeah, because I wouldn't think that'd be too difficult if you have some creative people in your costume and set teams to do a bit of painting black and white and, you know, do some some clever uh, costuming choices. Mm. No, definitely. It, it, it allows it for some kind of clever bit of creativity in, in that respect. It is a fantastic show. I am genuinely gobsmacked that this isn't a staple you know, yeah. of the scene because like the songs are brilliant that kind of visual impact is amazing mm. on stage i think anybody who goes to see a production of that is going to be hugely enamored with it yeah so i think i think i agree with you it is as adam kind of alluded to it sounds like good like it it kind of i'd say probably why people don't i suppose maybe at some level it, people don't consider it it's like because it's it's kind of it would be an alternative to other shows that you probably like well that does a bit better so like you know the kind of the dark elements to it the kind of that mm-hmm. film noir vibe would be very similar to something you see in chicago which a lot of people do equally that kind of you know that old hollywood kind of glamour style you know you'd see that in something like singing in the rain 42nd mm-hmm. street you know so it's it's kind of one of those ones where it's going to be compared to those and you're like, well, if, if it's like that, we may as well do the other one people have heard of. But I'm like, yeah, but this does it really well. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it does it nearly yeah. better, in my opinion. Like, the, like, the, mm-hmm. get, like I, know, I know we have to get onto the scoring for it. I think you can already tell, like, the score for the score, for the score is going to be high because it is so good. <laughs> like, it's so good. All right. Well, let me do that across our five categories then. So give it to me out of five on entertainment value. 
how am I sitting in the pews going to receive this? I'll go with I'll go with a four. I'll go with a four. I won't go the full five. The onus will really be on the society, you know, to really kind of spell it out and kind of make it very clear, the story, because, you know, mm-hmm. anything, especially when people aren't aware or something, people don't know the story going in. It just makes it even more difficult to make sure that people are fully clear what is happening, you know, and, you know, I will allow that there is a bit of risk there because it's an unfamiliar story, but it is very entertaining. It's got a, you know, obviously the elements of kind of bit of comedy. It's kind of the dark. Obviously, you know, you have that kind of the aspect of watching it going from color to black and white, you know, so I do think entertainment value. It, it is you are going to have a very good time and it, it could it has the feel of something that if it's well executed, it really could you come away from it like god that, that was so professional like it, it, it would feel so yeah. professional okay so that's a four in entertainment value the quality of the songs how do you rate the score here off oh, i'm giving it a five it's just so good i mean it's that it's like it's like do you remember on x factor when they used to do big band week it's like yeah. that, but for like a sister, but for even longer. It's like sustained. It's just <laughs> it's brilliant. not for two hours. Yeah, it's just two hours straight of that. You know, it, even if you don't listen to like you know the likes of Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. or mm-hmm. any of those kind of those big band era, even if you don't listen to people like that very often, I think if you still somehow through through happenstance end up listening to it, you still enjoy it, and I do believe that. And it's just a big, loud, brassy mm-hmm. score that just brilliant and uh if if i may say so myself entirely justified right <laughs> now cost how expensive is this for societies to put on so yeah like i mean we talked about it there first of all you know it's set you know the film noir and even the kind of the real the real life like, i don't know why i'm doing air quotes no one can see them but the real yeah. life bit it all set you know kind of it, it you know anything we have to go back in time and it's like a period piece so this kind of set post-war 1940s so obviously straight away getting the costuming right on that is you know can increase the cost absolutely because you can't just you know put anything on and i don't well i mean like it could go down a a modern route and make it you know the film noir bit a bit like i don't know something like out of sin city or something like that you could take that attitude if you wanted to yeah. but i think to be honest it'd be a bit out of place then with the brassy score so <laughs> probably mm. not um, so yeah the costuming definitely is probably something like that and equally like we said you know obviously you need a color set and a black and white set but equally you know a good bit lighting trickery can i believe there's like a certain shade of gray that you can paint a set and then you can put a light on it and it'll change it to any color you want you know so you can get a bit you can get a bit crafty but i'll probably give it a i'll go with a three in terms of cost effectiveness kind of kind of down the road yeah mm-hmm. okay then ensemble what does this have for our full company Mm. And this is this is all this is kind of one of the main things that I was kind of thinking of in trying to pick these shows. Well, we can go for shows that people aren't doing, but at the end of the day, there's no point if it's a a nice little piece written for ten people that, that doesn't really do us any good. Um, and I when I was first thinking, I was like, oh, City of Angels. I was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, tenor says no. There's going to be absolutely. Sh- there's going to be like four people in it, and that's it. Like, we're going to be done. <laughs> and in fairness, there is like on the one hand of your principles, it's about I think about somewhere around 10 kind of principles but a lot of them do double up um because they play Mm -hmm. kind of like one person in real life and then one person in the movie if you get me but 
outside of that, there's still, you know, so you kind of have about kind of 10 principles. You probably have another kind of, you know, 10 to 15 kind of supporting characters. And then, you know, there's like kind of cameo parts on top of that. And then there's kind of like non-speaking cameo parts. So they're kind of crowd scenes and stuff. So it actually kind of swells, like, you know, if you were to go down through it, it kind of does swell out to maybe about easily well over like 30 to 40 people if you had like those kind of numbers. Mm. you know and a lot of societies do and like that's kind of a a big i suppose kind of concern really like you know because you want to kind of you know not everybody not everybody wants to be out front but everybody would like to have something you know and yeah. it, it this definitely kind of plays well for that so in terms of like, kind of casting i would probably go with like a four you know most yeah well like I, like I, I like with most things if you if you're usually a society of like 60 to 70 yeah you might there you mm. might you might struggle a bit to make everyone you know, either fit on stage all the time if you have to throw them in or equally to spread everything out thinly. But a standard musical kind of 40 to 50 people would have no problem. I'm feeling I underscored on ensemble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, marketability. Mm. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if any of our shows now are going to be scoring five for this because, like, you know, we are kind of going off the beaten track. Yeah. But... And I will admit that this is probably where it's going to fall down a bit because, like, I mean, if you said that to anyone, they'd probably mistake it. I mean, you could if you try to piggyback off the 1998 Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan movie, City of Angels. And <laughs> if anyone asks... <laughs> nothing, oh, the nothing to do with the musical. Let's yeah. just be clear. <laughs> oh, absolutely oh, nothing. Wow. But if anyone asks, just don't tell... Just be like, yep, yeah, that's, yep, sure. that's what it is. Come along. Yeah, everyone's yeah. favourite Meg Ryan movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The movies are getting an awful lot of a trot out recently with that and You've Got Mail last yeah. episode. Where's the, where's, the, where's the Meg Ryan renaissance that we're all waiting for? That's what mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, you, could, you might be able to track it. It's not totally off-putting as a title, so I'll go with two. I'll go with yeah, two. That's two. two. I was going to fight you if you said three. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have to admit, like, if I, you wouldn't know about it, but there's nothing <laughs> terrible about no. it. Yeah, to be honest with you, the, the ones are reserved for you're in town. Yeah, something and, that is uh, just offensive, like you're in town, nine to five, just stuff that really gets people yeah. going. Like, you know, like work, <laughs> I don't want to think about work. <laughs> Saturday night, for fuck's Dolly sake. Park, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Dolly. I will hear no Dolly slander. I love podcast. Dolly. More Dolly. <laughs> All right. I've had the intern crunch the numbers there, and it appears, Dan, you scored 18 Ooh, to my 17. Ooh. Damn. I, in fairness, if you'd asked me at the very top of it what I would have given it out of 25, I probably would have gone higher than that. But <laughs> the maths don't lie. The maths don't lie. You probably would have said, why are you asking me to score out of 25? Why I've broken it down into individual categories. <laughs> I believe, Keen, you're up. It is, it's not a show that's never been done, because I know it has been done, but it has not been done with any degree of regularity in the recent past. In recent past, you know, it's definitely fallen out of favor in, in these past two decades. Okay. And that is Camelot, the learner and love. Oh, yes. So Camelot came out kind of in the wake of My Fair Lady. Everybody knows the learner and love classic My Fair Lady. Yeah. And that was obviously wildly successful, built learner and love's name and Camelot was going to be the follow-on. And they decided to adapt T.H. White's novel, The Once and Future King, which was about King Arthur and the Knights 
of the round table. And Mm -hmm. the project, unfortunately, went through a very difficult gestation. In its tryouts in Canada, the original show ran to four and a half hours. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) And and the famous English playwright Noel Coward saw one of those those early productions and uh, supposedly remarked that it was longer than um, Wagner's Gotor Amradon, but not nearly as funny, which was (laughs) (laughs) was about as damning as as what What an incredible quote. (laughs) (laughs) But and throughout it, I mean, Alan J. Lerner was hospitalized with a stomach ulcer. Moss Hart, the legendary Broadway director and, and playwright who was directing this production, had a heart attack. It Christ. was an incredibly stressful development. But the show that came out of all of that, once it was workshopped, edited, whittled down to, I think, about two and a half hours. So it's probably on the slightly longer end of things, but no different than, I suppose, most shows of of that era, Mm. was really excellent. And it was nominated for five Tony Awards in the Tonys of 1961, including for Richard Burton, who won, who played King Arthur. Julie Andrews was nominated, didn't win, and Robert Goulet was Lancelot. So, I mean, they had this just stonking cast of incredible performers and its original cast album spent six weeks at number one it was at the time incredibly famous that cast recording was popularized as being jfk's favorite album when it came out (laughs) so it it enjoyed this they were on the ed sullivan show it was incredibly popular and it's sort of hard to conceptualize, I suppose, nowadays when it's gotten to the point where I think most people, even people who are into musical theater, won't even be aware that there's a Camelot musical, just how popular it was. It was huge. And that cast recording and that score, its reception at the time is justified because it is simply brilliant. There's some of the best stuff that Lerner and Lowe have ever written is in it. Wow. Including If I Would Leave You, um, which is Lancelot's song, <laughs> which kind of became Robert Goulet's kind of signature tune. I, or, or Ralph Wiggum in The Simpsons. <laughs> 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 that's, a, that's the one I know, anyway. <laughs> but, but Say Moi is very funny. It, Camelot that Arthur sings is brilliant as well. It's a really, really good score. I, I can't overemphasize that there was a a not terribly well received film version of it in 67 directed by joshua logan in which richard harris actually played king arthur replacing richard burton from broadway and vanessa redgrave replaced uh, julie andrews and that was just a little a little bit turgid i suppose it's not a show that i think suits the film Uh, medium all that well just because of its epic theatrical nature it's almost Hmm. shakespearean in in ways Hmm. because it's an adaptation of this classic mythological tale it doesn't feel the need to i suppose comedically wrap everything up into a nice little 
bow at the very end of it. You're left with some open wounds, both literally and emotionally at the end of the show. <laughs> and it, it's really, like one of my one of my pet peeves about newer shows is just the book is often, you know, very, very superficial, just pablum. Like, but this isn't. It's <laughs> it's really, really good quality stuff. And I think it's something that that societies do need to look at again. There are some great iconic characters. Guinevere, Arthur, Lancelot, Merlin, Morgan Le Fay, the Lady of the Lake. They're all in it. And I mean, why would you not want to get on stage and play? Guinevere why would you not want to get on stage and play a knight of the round table you know it's it's just a fantastic opportunity and, and because, of, me. because of those types of big scenes they demand a huge company hmm. they demand lots of knights and lots of townsfolk and it pre- presents a great opportunity for I think everybody in society to really get their teeth into what is a classic and sadly overlooked show yeah completely overlooked i've never heard a song from it is it is it as funny as spam a lot though that's the real question (laughs) (laughs) not as funny as spam a lot darn it well let's let's score this bad boy then yeah so what are the headings i've already forgotten entertainment value there we go entertainment value okay i would find this show really really entertaining i think it is an actor's show it's a show where if you want to go out and think about, you know, how am I going to deliver this soliloquy? It's mm. brilliant. And if you like that kind of theater, if you like theater that is less comedic and probably more emotionally dense, you're going to enjoy this. But I am really aware that that's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. But the songs are brilliant. The spectacle of it is immense. So That's what I was going to say. It's probably quite a, a visually engaging visually musical. So on entertainment value, I am going to I'm gonna knock a point off of it for its script being a bit dense. Mm. And I'm going to land it down at a four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you're gonna have some grannies falling asleep in long soliloquies. God damn it, granny. Yeah, but not, not if Richard Burton's delivering them. <laughs> if you can if you can exhume Richard Burton and get him involved in Look, in the next still does War of the Worlds. So <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, Joe Dolan is still performing the Glen Eagle through yeah. a holiday. So, so and it's know. possible. That's a match made in heaven. <laughs> uh, Joe Dolan as Lancelot opposite Richard Burton as as King Arthur. <laughs> that um, would be good. So the songs. Uh, Obviously, you um, mentioned this was a huge pop success. Yeah, songs songs are brilliant. I'm gonna again. I'm gonna knock a point off it because they're not as well known as some other songs from the musical theater can. But I like this is one of my favorite cast recordings. It's it's so good. But I'm going to be a bit measured. I'm gonna just leave it at a four. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's probably fair. Considering like, I, I don't know any. The only the only thing is that. You are not going to find a huge number of songs from Camelot on, let's say, a list of standards that people might perform at concerts and things like that. So there's not going to be a great awareness of this score out there amongst even theatre folk, not to mind yeah. the people who come see shows. 
Yeah. I imagine, I'm getting the impression you're not going to be tapping your toes along to this either. You're not going to be sitting there like... Do you know what? It, you'd be surprised. It, there are more upbeat tracks than you'd think. Right. <laughs> it's not all kind of long-winded symphonic stuff. Though there is that. There's, if, you're, if you're a classical soprano or you're kind of a classical tenor, you, you have a great opportunity to get your teeth into some stuff. But there's, like, same was quite funny. There, there are lots of quite quick-tempo, funny songs. They have managed to balance it quite well, which I suppose makes sense considering how successful that cast recording was when it first came out. True, true. How expensive is this going to be? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the downside of Camelot, which is that you, there need to be knights, there need to be ladies-in-waiting, there needs to be a medieval castle setting merlin needs to appear in the forest he needs to be tempted by a lady of the lake there's all this there's, lake. A, there's a forest and a lake you can probably get away without having a lake to be honest you can't get away without having a forest lady so, of the maybe the one, thing that, <laughs> the one thing that it doesn't have is it doesn't have a need for complicated lighting it doesn't have need for very rapid moving sets or anything like that so mm. it is saved but it, it there's no getting away from the fact that it is expensive I'm yeah, gonna you're not going to be dressing your knights in tinfoil uh, <laughs> <laughs> to cut a few corners there it's not going to happen wait till you see we do it the <laughs> i'm going to give it a two okay yeah. I'm give it a two. it's not quite as bad as beauty and the beast in terms of cost but yeah. it's because again you can self-build and self Source. Yeah, like a lot of medieval costumes will probably be available from pantomime groups needing them yeah. you know yeah i think there's you you have much more flexibility there than you do in some other shows but it is expensive too and and like that it's one of those older shows that i think it's written for 24 musicians yeah. so, so of course you can whittle that down like we all do for those older shows down to nine ten eleven whatever musicians depending yeah. on where the melodies are in the the orchestration but yeah it's yeah it, it's a bigger band you're not getting away with guitar drums bass and piano it's a little loot in for that guitar yeah <laughs> so you think you've mentioned this already but how how involved are your full company and ensemble going to be i'm going to give this pretty high we've both said four me and dan have said four so yeah i'm i'm to me, I think it's it's got a lot of shades of forum, actually, in terms of how mm. involved your, your ensemble is going to be. So I couldn't really deviate from that as well. I think for it's got a lot of space, a lot of space for your course. It is like 14 named parts, I think. So that's mm. pretty good. It's nice when you, you're in the program as, as somebody rather than peasant number three. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? I suppose that leads me lastly to marketability. Marketability. Yeah, I, the thing about the thing about the marketability is that the show itself isn't probably terribly famous as a show. The film isn't massively famous. No, but people know what Camelot is. But that's the thing. Camelot has a massive brand name. People will see Camelot and they'll go, oh, I, I know what that's about. I might not know the songs, but I know what the story is. And yeah. it's going to be a bit of fun. I know I'm going to get a bit of action. It's It's going to be dramatic so while the music isn't isn't massively known i'm kind of i'm teetering between 
a three and a four here, but I'm going to give it a four. I think Camelot has a lot of value in its name. I mm. think people will be interested in coming to see that. Mm. And you're going to get people in the door who... I think, yeah, I think that sounds... You might not come to a, a wedding singer. Yeah, I think so. I think you'll get, a, you'll get a kind of a mix of between kind of people, like obviously people who are into kind of musicals and that musical theater circuit who haven't seen that, like that hasn't been done in so long, but people know about it. And then obviously the kind of of a kind of person maybe who isn't into musicals, like a general public, but the idea, like you said, that Camelot is like the idea, fine, I don't know exactly what Camelot the musical is about, but I know Mm -hmm. what, you know, I know what I'm getting. I know what the story is. And I think I'm a big fan of King Arthur. Yeah. yeah, Those two kind of coming together definitely make it good in that respect. Yeah, and and the interns come back and it's another eighteen. Another eighteen. Wow. Eighteen. The okay. cost kind of like like it's fours all around bar cost, but but the cost yeah. kind of killed you. Yeah. All right. So that score wise leaves us on a funny thing happened on the way to the forum at seventeen, City of Angels eighteen, and Camelot eighteen out of twenty five. So remarkably similar scores but all pretty good yeah. scores crucially yeah they're all all like above average scoring mm. Uh, mm. i mean and I, mm. I for one i'm delighted to be second out of three uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's also it's it's a good mix though there's like three they're three different shows from each other they're not all the same as well so it, it's great to see yeah. the less said about where the other two people are the better but i'm second <laughs> out of three <laughs> <laughs> proud of you adam I'm proud of you. <laughs> But it's tight. It's tight. I I think it's we tight. should come back and and have a second go at it and and mm. see if I can't claw my way back up the table out of the relegation zone. So I I think that's probably a good idea. And what would be even better is if you wrote in and let us know the forgotten musicals that you like that you think deserve to be played more and produced more by societies. So email us at theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram at theoddcast by Odd Theatre. All right, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or add us to your library on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We will be back in two weeks' time for yet another wonderful episode of The Oddcast. But until then, stay safe. Talk to you soon. <laughs>